This month on the Interplanetary Podcast. Now, what have we got coming up in the second space podcast? We're going to talk about a bit of laser propulsion. Oh, yeah. What happened to Breeze M, our favourite uh, favorite stage? We bloody love that the stage. We do, we do. We're also going to talk about Helen Sharman. Yes, Helen Sharman. Uh, uh, another suggestion by one of our legend listeners. The, the main story of, of rocket science this month, Falcon 9, getting herself back down onto that barge. Absolutely. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Welcome to number two of the Interplanetary Podcast. Welcome back, Matt. We made it. We did. We're on the second one. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Not. Now, I've had a... Drone. Drone. I've had a letter... From, uh, uh, from our request to come up with a new strap line. Who from? It's from rock, famous rock powerhouse drummer, uh, now residing in Los Angeles. So posh. Yeah, Mr. Andy Buse. Andy Buse. Andy Buse. And he's sent in his suggestion, which is space is straight, straight up. up. Now, we're, we're questioning whether straight up, it's like straight up, is that a Cali thing? Straight up, yo. Straight what does that up. even mean? I think but it is straight up. He's I think right. It is straight Space is straight up. But it's also... It but it's, all, it's also... It's also directly in front. Yeah. So technically, even though we really like it, it's not technically yeah. right, Andy. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid, Andy, I think you need, <laughs> need to stick to drumming. Stick to drumming, but you can. But you can show this to Brian May the next time you see him, if you like. Yeah, that's Don't true. show it to him. Uh, play it to him. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Even though you keep thinking this is a video. Jamie, I really want to talk about Helen Sharman. Yes. Because um, one of our listeners wrote in... Who wrote in? It was Belle's driver from New Zealand. Cheers, Belle's. Uh, and she wrote in to say that uh, she thought it was a little bit unfair that we sort of brushed over Helen Sharman. Mm. And, and I agree in a way because, you know, she's... Um, first Britain in space. First Britain in space. And... There was some criticism that she kind of won a lottery, but that's really unfair because she applied to become a cosmonaut Mm. uh, and she beat 18,000 other applicants. Yeah, she was pretty qualified to go up (laughs) without a lottery. Yeah, she had a PhD. And ironically, she'd worked for Mars. Ah, Uh, how so? Yeah, something to do with the chemical testing of chocolates and flavourings in chocolate. Right. So she was, uh, yes, so her her sort of chosen subject is chemistry, so she's a chemist by Mm. trade. And uh, so she was was chosen for Project Juno, which was... um, uh, Not a Roland Juno. Not a Roland Juno, which you're very familiar with, no, uh, Project Juno, which was a kind of Russian... British joint venture, and it was a, a lot of British kind of money went into this uh, joint venture, but apparently not enough in the end. Mm. And Gorbachev himself kind of uh, said that the Russians should underwrite it in the end to right. actually get Helen Sharman up. Good old Gorbs. Good old Gorbachev. Yeah, I mean this is this this is very much of a kind of history in itself, and the fact that when. Uh, the cosmonauts were up, the, the ones that had gone up with Helen Sharman that stayed on the Mir space station, which yeah. is where she went. Um, the the whole collapse of the Soviet Union happened after the coup d'etat against Gorbachev 
1991. Was happening while they were up there. While they were up there. How much do you think they would have been fed in terms of news? It's hard, isn't it? Because I wonder if they were... I think they keep that kind of news to a minimum so that they don't get worried. But there's yeah. got to be a certain amount of disclosure. I don't know. don't know how that worked. But Helen Sharman had only stayed up for almost eight days. So she mm-hmm. was only she was up seven days, 21 hours or something. So she was only up on the Mir station for that period. She, she, she flew up on the 18th of May, 1991, and mm. flew back down on the 26th of May. She flew up on the Soyuz TM-12, and of course Tim Peake flew up on a Soyuz as well. Yeah. And she came back down on TM-11, which you'd think it'd be the other way around, wouldn't Absolutely. You, well, I mean, there's been a lot of press, obviously, that, you know, it's it, it was a bit sexist, the fact that, uh, you know, people were making such... A big deal about Tim Peake, but not many mentions about Helen, you know, mm. where of course, rightly so, there should have been. I mean it was it was like she was chosen for Project Juno live on ITV. Yeah. In back in nineteen eighty nine and then had eighteen months of training. But yeah, I mean the fact that it's really because Tim Peake is the first British astronaut. Correct. So it's Brit Britain have actually paid for him to go up, so he's actually Sponsored by the British public, though. and actually by the, the two, taxpayer, in, in yeah. Essence, but. And of course, the two of them are do have quite a close relationship. We talked mm-hmm. earlier about the fact that uh, Helen gave Tim a signed Yuri Gagarin book, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, she's reading out there. She's yeah, lovely. Yeah, and she's been obviously a massive advocate of space science ever since her trip to space. She's yeah. written a book about her experience well at least two books about her experience she's even written a children's book about space Mm. and she's gone out and done the lecture circuit and absolutely i think this is more about the british press more than anything isn't it yeah yeah no absolutely i think she's obviously sexist (laughs) sexist but she's obviously a legend she's one of the very she's one of the youngest people to go into space as well yeah but even the sort of top 20 youngest people to go into space second youngest woman so yeah, there's not much to be said about Helen mm. Sharman other than that she's an absolute ledge. Who is the youngest person to go into space, man? Now that we need to look up. We don't know, do we? So actually, the um, youngest astronaut is German Titov. You say that once more time, Matt. It was German Titov. I will have no blue jokes emailed in. And she was uh, 25 years old when 25. she flew up yeah, on, on Vostok 2. Bless her. That's yeah. pretty. That's pretty amazing. And the oldest person, believe, was John Glenn at seventy-seven. Correct. And he flew up on uh, STS uh, ninety-five. We may or may not be reading these facts. <laughs> but hey, listen, <laughs> the facts are all there. The facts are there. And uh, Titoff was one of the only people ever to suffer from uh, space sickness. How about that? Can you define space sickness? I mean, that surely comes in several things. Well, I think there's probably an actual... I mean, do you think it's like me when I go backwards on on the train? Do you think she just was like, oh, I need to sit forwards? I, I, well, well, I imagine it's quite similar to that. But do, do, do we want to explain space sickness or would you want to leave? Nah, Shall we just leave that for next week? On. Let's leave it for next month. Space sickness will deal next with month. next month. 
So uh, anyway, Helen Sharman, what yes. a legend, absolute legend, maximum and, and, and respect. And I think actually, it's it's amazing, really. We haven't seen her more on television, but I don't know whether that's her personal choice. Or yeah, not. she wanted. She shunned the press. No, I don't think she shunned the press, but maybe she keeps it on a bit of a down low. The sexist she, UK press. Ugh. Maybe she, you know, maybe she is quite happy with her kind of life as it is. You yeah, know, you know. But Helen Sharman, legendary, nevertheless. She, I, reading the article about her earlier, she said a really lovely thing about the colours of, of the earth, about how deep they actually are, and about how beautiful it is that you can see the world, but you can also see the tail of a ship when you get that close into detail, and how she used to sometimes go to sleep in that window and wake up and just see that view. I mean, how amazing. Oh, it is absolutely amazing. Can you imagine it? The first British person ever to see that. And really, yeah. you know, it's quite amazing because, you know, obviously Britain has a, a really rich heritage of exploring the world. So, yeah, she, she falls very much into that category. of Matt, do you think we'll be the first British people to win a Grammy for a space travel podcast well i hope so so in, if you do like this podcast you should definitely press <laughs> the like button vote here yeah you should definitely press the like button on the stitcher on the itunes or the tune in that you're listening to this podcast on or of course on the love button on soundcloud depending on you know, how, however you've stumbled upon us we don't want to influence you in any way but for goodness sake press that like button if you don't press that like button, <laughs> we're going to come round and hunt you down. The things we'll do. So, uh, one of the really exciting things, I mean, the, the sort of headline news, really, yeah. I suppose, in space. Bong. Since our last podcast, of course, is SpaceX's incredible achievement. Unbelievable. Of managing to launch the, um, the first stage of a Dragon uh, launcher back down on their barge yes and their barge is called of course i still love you which apparently is a, a reference to an ian m banks novel brilliant yeah good work musk good work musk and of course uh, not only did they just launch their dragon up it also managed to have a very successful uh, cargo launch to the iss which now has how many rockets attached to it so this is uh yeah this is a bit i think a bit of a record it's got six spaceships attached docked on board so what a docker what a docker and so we've got uh, cygnus which is an orbital uh, orbital atk spacecraft that went up quite recently with supplies mm. we've got a progress that went up quite recently with supplies and a soyuz that went up quite recently with crew and supplies so that's right so at the moment there's Cygnus, two Soyuz, two Progress, and now finally Dragon has joined them all. And Dragon and Cygnus are parked next to each other. Now I asked you the question about why doesn't a delivery rocket just come up, drop the gear off and then go back. But of course you said the very clever reply. Yeah, clever, of course well, stuff has to wait to build up to come back. Yeah, so they, they, uh, these things arrive and then they, they pack them up with stuff. Science experiments that they've worked on that need to go back to Earth. Yep. Rubbish, obviously. <laughs> yeah, stuff that what they don't else? want anymore. Love letters, back yeah, to the yeah, yes, Yeah, actually, yeah, I think there's a few personal items that go back down. Of course, how personal? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so, uh, Soyuz, the Soyuz ones obviously take the crew back down. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, the, the, the dragon one that's just docked is, is due to come back down on May the 11th. I love that it's called Dragon. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? No, I can't remember what the dragon's from, actually. It's named from... Game of Thrones? Mm, doubt. No. No? No, oh. he's musking the thrones. Where are my rockets? <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, um, Jamie, can you tell me a little bit about what Dragon took up to the ISS? One of its kind of major cargo. In fact, a lot of people were really excited about this, the, the cargo that was going up, and it kind of got overshadowed by the successful landing on the barge. Yeah, remind me of the content. So, it was uh, uh, the Bijlu, or I don't even know, or Bigelow. You can might be Bigelow. Yeah. Uh, expandable activity module, or Beam. Oh, beam, yeah. Beam, and it's uh, it's a lot. It, a lot of people think it's inflatable, like a sort of balloon that attaches to the side of the International Space yeah. Station. But it's actually not. It's a it's a, an expandable habitat. So it's kind of it's kind of like a packed down uh, room almost. And it's kind of like a bouncy castle for the crew. Yeah. <laughs> Internally, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess. But what they're going to do is they're going to attach this thing to the side of the ISS. Yeah. And slowly expand it. They're going to do it very, very slowly, slowly, catchy monkey, like everything they do in space. Mm. It's got to be done to the, you know, testing and testing and testing. But it's a very exciting... Um, well, in the 60s, they could have caught a monkey in space. Yeah, they? exactly. Well, they're still looking for it. Yeah. Uh, but the... I think it's an exciting thing, because if these expandable modules, this Bigelow company is really kind of... It, it's It's... That's what it specialises in, these expandable habitats. And they've even, they're even now talking about putting their own commercial space stations up, which are going to be these expandable... Fully inflatable... Yeah, fully... Space in, stations. Yeah, inflatable space stations, kind of almost like little pods that are all in orbit that people can go and I just in. worry about them bursting or getting pierced. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's why they're not inflatable, they're expandable. Yeah, right. Yeah, so... They, ex- they don't expand from internal pressure, but obviously some kind of m- mechanical pressure. Mm. So they're ex- they're, exp- they're they're just ex- they're just kind of packed down structures that then can expand. And obviously they're not hard steel on the outside. They've got some special kind of like IKEA, but yeah, they're the kind of IKEA of of space. A few miles building. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you know they're also in, you know they're thinking about using these things on Mars, and they're thinking about using them on the moon so these things are these things could be really really big news and that's why a lot of people are really excited about the beam delivery up to the international space station my god get your get your allen keys ready that's what the uh, cosmonauts and astronauts are going to be dicking around with while they're up in the iss over the next few months to make sure this docking thing, around with docking around see what i did there yeah, yeah it's good and uh, we don't and just we don't just give facts on this podcast no, we, we also have fun yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe too much fun too I much don't, bloody yeah. fun so uh yeah but i mean back to back to of course the amazing spacex landing the uh, first stage of a rocket back down on the barge now there's a couple of really important things here if it can continue to do this, so it can have a first stage that goes up, 
manages to land itself down on this barge yeah. out, out in the sea, which is a quite a safe way of doing it. But not only that, it's to do with the trajectory. So if the trajectory takes it over the sea, which they often do, um, it means that you can land this first stage. So this is a, a monumental achievement. To be yeah, able to what's get the bigger implication? So the really big implication, of course, is that you can now use that first stage again, which has got tonnes of expensive gear on it. Hmm. Uh, the engines themselves, the actual structure that holds the fuel and the engines. Yeah, if anything, they're going to save some cash. That's proper cash saved. Now, if they can reuse this again and fly it again, and then fly it again and then fly it again and they can turn these things around really quickly and apparently it, Musk is really planning on using the, this same first stage again this year yeah he wants to he wants to do 10 trial flight and lands yeah um, before he knows that it's fully safe hmm. yeah I mean I, I can't imagine that they would risk astronauts on it no and of course this is still uh, America is still the commercial launch of astronauts is still not with us yet yeah which has been a massive hole since the space special stopped uh so that the falcon the falcon 9 that that flew was a falcon 9 1.2 version 1.2 my favorite of all the versions well yeah i mean it's only just come out yeah Yeah, it's 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 a it's an improvement is it like apple when they do a bug fix you just have to relaunch the app yeah, I think like it that. is, yeah. And the the bug being the last one blew up. Yeah, that's quite a bug. Yeah, well, actually, it didn't blow up. It disintegrated, apparently. Mm. So there's some difference. Uh, and this, this, this mission was called CRS-8. Mm. There we go. Uh, so, yeah, big success for SpaceX. Good on them. Absolutely. And, and, and that is a major achievement that will bring down the, the cost of... Uh, launching satellites into space and they really have taken such an enormous lead uh, 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 across their competitors no one's really come close to doing it who was the guy who said that he you know he, he'd done it and what was the other company so jeff bezos that's the guy the amazon guy mm. who's uh, blue origin that's his it, origin. That's it. So he's yeah. launched and landed rockets. Yeah, so What's he's the done, difference. Again, he's done it this he's done it this month as well. He's done another successful launch. He's done three, isn't he? Three or four? I think it's four. Right, and, it's but four two now. with an, an upper stage and, and, and gone orbital. But it's it, it, it these things go nowhere near as high as, as Elon Musk. And of course these aren't commercial trips either. You know, Elon Musk has managed to combine a commercial flight to the International Space Station hmm. and combine that with a demonstration of a whole new technology and landing on the barge. A really interesting thing about the barge and the and the and the rocket is that the barge and the rocket have their own GPS position. And they hmm. don't apparently talk to each other. So the barge isn't saying, Oh, here I am, Rocket, and the rocket's going, Where are you, barge? Hmm. They literally just have an absolute GPS position that they know that they've got to go to. And the barge can hold its its GPS position in the ocean. There's no left a bit, right a bit. Arguments. Yeah, so it, it's 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 literally continually adjusting itself to, with an accuracy of less than a meter. That's so quite unbelievable. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And and it's like and people put bets on where the rocket's going to land, whether uh, off within the center, that meter. within that meter. Yeah, so it's and the rocket literally comes down and doesn't know where it doesn't talk to the barge. It just knows that the barge is going to be there. 
on a Saturday night, friends of mine have bets on how far I'll land on my bed. <laughs> you know, if it's in within a meter or if I'll hit it clean. Clean, clean in the middle. Yeah, it's fifty-fifty. If I'm honest, <laughs> depends on how many yeah, ages you've had. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. God bless Elon Musk. Where would we be without Musk? Well, of course, Elon Musk made his fortune from selling perfume. Did he? No, it was eBay. Oh. No, it was PayPal. PayPal, that's PayPal. it. PayPal. What a guy. What a guy. No, I made the perfume bit up because it sounds a bit like Musk. It sounds like the, oh, the he and Musk. I'm out. We're all out. So, ExoMars. ExoMars. So, as predicted in last uh, month's podcast, yes. on March the 14th, we had a highly successful launch. Successful launch. Of ExoMars, and everyone was extremely happy. Everything seemed to go massively to plan, which is very odd for Russian trips to Mars, which are often fraught with disasters. So yeah. It was an interesting one, of course. So we had some fist pumps. Lots of fist pumps. And then... And then there was some worrying news. There mm. a few people tracking um, uh, ExoMars had noticed some... Uh, Debris that shouldn't really be there. So oh, there was large debris. Yeah, bit of, quite a lot of or quite a lot of worry. Now the uh, ExoMars, of course, flew up on a proton rocket, and there were some beautiful pictures on the ESA website that, of, of the proton rocket, which I mm. thought was one of the best photos of a rocket launch I've seen. But the proton, one, a very good rocket, off the, off, you know, little bit in the shadow of the Soyuz, but you know. Genius yeah. rocket. The fourth stage is is uh, is known as the Breeze M. Yes. Which we uh, I believe last week d- described as our favourite. We did, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on this occasion, the space tug, as they're known, which is supposed to sort of, <laughs> which uh, I know that you were very interested in having going into <laughs> orbit and having a space tug. Well, but I'm, the, <laughs> I'm told it's bad for the eyesight. <laughs> Well, yeah, being on the International Space Station too long is bad for your eyes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as we discussed last last time. If there are any kids listening, space tugging is natural, it's healthy, um, it's nothing to be ashamed about. And and it's really your last push to Mars. It is. So this uh, Breeze M um, was pushing ExoMars to uh, Mars, and and it's finished doing its job. Mm Mm-hmm. It's uh, detached successfully, and all that all that uh, telemetry came down. Yeah, and uh, everyone was very very happy. And ExoMars is on its way to Mars. Now, an interesting thing with the this this stage of the rocket is, yeah, unless it does a couple of manoeuvres itself once detached, it will just follow obviously ExoMars yeah. to Mars. And what scientists don't want is the uh, is ExoMars itself crashing into Mars. When it gets there, yeah, the, the Breeze M section of it crashing into Mars and contaminating the planet because rockets aren't sterilised in the same way that satellites inside mm. them are. So it would actually contaminate the planet. So they don't want that. So it does a couple of burns and uh, and hopefully finds itself into a graveyard orbit. Now I know that you know what a graveyard orbit is Jamie. I do know what a graveyard orbit is. Would you like me to describe yeah, it? Yeah, if you can describe a graveyard. So a graveyard orbit, also called the junk orbit or 
disposable orbit Mm -hmm. is an orbit that lies significantly away from the common operational orbits where spacecraft are intentionally placed at the end of their operational life. Yeah. It's kind of beautiful and sad and awesome. I wonder... If I had a band, we would be called the Graveyard Graveyard Orbits. Yeah. Yeah, But it must be... Good evening, Surbiton. A a sort of really ace place to hang out watching these old spaceships as they drift by powerless and broke yeah but this unfortunately this breeze m the 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 space tug that's pushed exo mars successfully off has had some kind of catastrophic failure just afterwards and has blown up and seems to have fragmented into lots of pieces yeah now it isn't going into a graveyard orbit so it's sort of drifting off now into deep space that is quite worrying isn't it yeah it's quite worrying because it was quite close to um the exomars when it blew up so yeah that would have been horrible yeah if there's one thing that's bound to upset a lot of people it's lots of space junk kind of nervously rattling around yeah so they've tested some of the systems on on ExoMars to mm. see if it has had an effect and it turns out that it looks like ExoMars itself the satellite is going is okay right it seems that there is communication that's to the main everything everything functioning as they would expect <clears throat> it to function so we think everything is okay but it was a close call the breeze m did not function properly right at the end mm. despite our words of encouragement last month yeah it's a bit disappointing but then, like, I guess, all space travel, you know, they sometimes have to go through these things, yeah. you know? I mean, Breaking I, space eggs to make space omelettes. Yeah, I really like the fact that the, the Breeze M fourth stage is, is a spaceship in itself. And these, you know, and you can see some beautiful pictures about how complicated this little spacecraft is that, that it kind of looks just like the fourth stage of a rocket. You just think of it just a bit that goes <laughs> for a bit. You know what, listeners? We'd bloody love you to look up that. Yeah. It's, look it's, up that image. Look up, look, it, look it up, the Breeze M. So I think it's a really, really exciting story that's been in the press quite a bit this month. Are you going to say laser propulsion? I am going to say laser propulsion. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, first the first I saw about it was this Philip Lubin. Philip Lubin being the NASA scientist who is working on a system where lasers propel spacecraft with giant sails. That's right. And he first of all came out saying that it was going to take about three days. He could accelerate a craft right. to, to Mars in about three days. Uh-huh. But then a few days later, he was sort of saying, oh, actually, no, you could probably do it in about 30 minutes. Yeah. Which would mean going at 174.3 million miles per hour. Just say that once more, man. 174.3 million miles per hour. That's pretty quick. It's quick. It's quicker than a speeding bullet quick. It is. Yeah. Now, then on the 12th, the 12th of this month. Yeah. April. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, happens to be uh, the 55th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin, which, which we should have also mentioned. Yuri Gagarin, of course, 55 years ago. Tip of the cap. This month, uh, uh, 
was the first man in space. What and that is legend. That is, I mean, that's that's as good as it's ever going to get, isn't it? What, it's pretty handsome that? fellow too, wasn't yeah, he? Was it, uh, brave, poster boy. brave. It just doesn't bear thinking about. It. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. So you're uh, so on the t- in, on the twelfth, uh, Stephen Hawking has waded into this uh, laser laser spacecraft debate. Love Hawks. And what's he uh, up to? What's he was. So he's up to he's up to a new initiative I think called the Starshot, which is mm. which is uh, a chap called Yuri Milner, who's Yuri. yeah he's stumped up a hundred million dollars to get this thing going, and uh, I believe Mark Zuckerberg uh, and the great Freeman Dyson, amongst quite a few other brilliant scientists, including. Uh, Philip Lubin, who we mentioned earlier, yeah. on, are going to be involved in in trying to get together this this uh, laser propulsion system. Now, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, oh yeah, is uh, he he'd always he's quite famous for his solar sail. Mm-hmm. Now, the solar sail uh, concept is you have a spacecraft that puts out a nice big sail, and the uh, uh, photons and uh, and stuff coming off the sun hit this sail and slowly accelerate the spacecraft. And yeah. it's quite an efficient way of doing it. I mean, it's it's something that's been looked in very very seriously at NASA. And yeah, of course, but it's not thirty minutes to Mars. No, no. Well, of course. Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, it does accelerate a spacecraft very very slowly, but. Because there's because you get because space is frictionless, the acceleration soon adds up, and you're going very very fast. So you mm. can get some pretty brilliant speeds from that. But this idea is uh, sort of recent breakthroughs in laser technology. I think this is all to do with, and I think it's to do with the fact that you can now phase lots of arrays of lasers together, so that you can scale up almost ad, ad infinitum so that you can start off with a very small laser and just keep adding lasers to this array. Yeah. So it's almost like a sort of continual amplification of, of one laser and you can just keep amplifying it up. Layers of lasers. Layers and layers and layers of lasers, yeah. And so you build a bunch of these dishes, laser dishes on, on, on Earth and you, can, and you can fire them all up into one continuous beam that hits a laser-sailed spacecraft. Now, if it's tiny, you can get this thing going very fast indeed. That's what she said. Very, very, <laughs> very, very quickly. And uh, so, yeah, this is where it all comes down to. And I think it's a really, really clever idea because... Is there any timeline on this? I mean, do we... Uh, I mean, I know that they're in funding process, but... Well, it'd be, do we know when they might start trialling a small rocket? Well, a lot of these things are decades away, but I, I guess they really want to get this done in. You know, they want to start trialling something. I would think in the next decade. Hmm. Um, and it would be very exciting, wouldn't it? If, if, if yeah, if if they said right, we've successfully gonna... sent a rocket from Earth to Mars in half an hour. Yeah. Boom. Boom. And you know, this thing would be tiny. We're talking sort of iPhone, but what you know, they, they, what they want to do is make it so that it's just about enough so that you could put some electronics on it. Obviously, yeah. you'd need some form of the heavy thing. Would of course would be the communications device, the, mm. the, the the radio that sends signals back, so that it's actually useful. Mm. Now, can you spot the really big flaw with something that's been powered from the Earth, that's just a spacecraft without its own rocket system? Go on. 
how does it slow down? Uh, so you blast it off yes. to Mars, and of course, there's no way of it slowing down. So you could have a kind of hybrid one where you, where you, where it does have its own propulsion system, but it doesn't actually use it until it needs to slow down. And it wouldn't be that small. But then, of course, yeah, it wouldn't be small. So this has always been the problem with spacecraft. It relies on Newton's second law of every force has an equal and opposite reaction. So mm. you throw stuff out the back and you go forward. Yeah. You know, and you can, and rockets kind of work on that principle that they're chucking essentially the fuel out the back. Yeah. Uh, and if you heat it up very, if the, the hotter it is, the, 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 the better that performance of, of pushing. Maybe that's what they're working on is some small clever way to slow a space even the laser propulsion relies on this principle of every force has an equal so the photons themselves are basically pushing the spacecraft Mm. and it's their it's their reactionary force that's pushing pushing that spacecraft forward and it's uh, so yeah that's that's the problem and how how do you slow it down but nevertheless you know we, we can it looks like that there's a technology now that that within our lifetime could see very tiny craft flying off to stars i mean that's really interstellar travel has actually been opened up by this laser laser propulsion idea it's amazing we were talking earlier about obviously if this let's decades down the line it would be a manned mission Mm. powered by these lasers but obviously the human carcass couldn't take that kind of genius. well yeah and, and there's some very interesting there's some, there's more than just yet. that yet I mean there's some really interesting things to that uh, which I which I think are worth discussing you've got a these lasers ground based lasers I don't think could do it so you'd have to build the enormous kind of uh, laser ships in orbit or possibly mm. on the moon um, or yeah. in Lagrange points or places like that where you where you where you could have enormous massive laser uh, kind of parks huge arrays up in space mm. and then you could start blasting things around now there's a danger of course that some lunatic could just point it straight back down at earth and do a heck of a lot of damage and yeah. you know wipe out a city with one of these things yeah so uh, that's a, they're dangerous for a start off. So there has to be quite a bit of control over these things. But you, uh, once you've got these big arrays up in space, then you've got making it big enough and expensive enough to actually put a bloke or a Helen Sharman <laughs> blasting her out into, in, into... Or a monkey. Or a monkey. Let's not do that again, people. <laughs> it's bloody cruel, right? <laughs> so you're taking them out into interstellar space now here's a really other interesting one is that they they blast off into the uh, into interstellar space and uh, they go towards a star hmm. now you've accelerated them up to a very large percentage of the speed of light so what is taking minutes for them is taking days for us on earth ah see this was in the film wasn't yeah, it yeah yeah it's in the film but it's a very you know it's yeah. it's some serious problems obviously start to arise here because you know it, it what seems like it's only taken you a few days to get across I mean inside the space you've been going fast enough it will only seem like it's taken you a few days to get to the uh, nearest star mm. whereas on earth it will look as though it's taken you 20 years yeah now in the meantime <laughs> I always think this is quite funny imagine on earth in that 20 years someone discovers how to do warp speed 
So you're travelling to uh, you're travelling to uh, Proxima Centauri, say, mm. and you think I'm going to get there first, and then you get there, and then there's a, there's already a spaceship there because they go, oh yeah, but in the 20 years you were away, yeah, we've invented a faster way of getting there. You would have thought they'd at least pick him up on the way. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> that would be harsh, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, but the whole thing's harsh. But of course, how do you now you've got this laser propulsion? It's slowing down to get to the. Uh, uh, get to the nearest star. You know that this is work that the British Interplanetary Society has done a lot on. Is is in what the only serious study of getting to another star. Is well, if if I know some of the geeks that listen to this podcast, and I think I do, mm. I reckon they'll have some ideas of their own. It would be nice if we can remind people that they can write in. What is your email address, Matt? If they do, it is Matt at interplanetary.org.uk. That's it for the Interplanetary Podcast this month. Thank you very much for listening. I've been your host, Matthew Russell, and thank you very much to my co-host, Jamie Franklin. See you next month. If you've enjoyed the Interplanetary's podcast, why not join the British Interplanetary Society? The BAS pretty much invented space travel and promotes the exploration for use of space for the benefit of humanity. Benefits include Space Flight Magazine subscription and or JBIS subscription for those cutting-edge research papers in astronautics. Access to the member area of the website, chock full of space info and exclusive video content. And of course... You can sit in in regular lectures and talks held at the famous Arthur C. Clarke House in London and other locations around the world. Go to www.bis-space.com British Interplanetary Society From Imagination to Reality